Let us pray. This is a the prayer attributed to St. Francis. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is uh, despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, uh, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Um, I thought that that uh, prayer would speak to um, a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, the, uh, the class is Missionally Mundane. Um, which I hope piqued your interest. I'm just going to go ahead and close this. Uh, we're competing with voices. People will open the door if they really want to come. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk about the idea of being a missionary, um, both uh, locally and abroad, uh, and sort of unpack that, I think, with a hopefully a more nuanced vision than what's stereotypical, I guess. Um, and... Um, to, to frame our discussion, we may or may not come back to this, uh, I have a, a scripture reading for us, and that is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 5, starting at the 17th verse. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, uh, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in uh, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are, for, uh, are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Um, so uh, it's, Bethy and I are just going to kind of have a conversation up here uh, about uh, the idea of um, uh, being missional. Um, and, uh, um, I, you know, she, if you did not know, uh, why don't you go ahead and say, what's your role here at the church? Um, so I'm, I've been here five months now, I guess, as the Director of Mission and Outreach, um, but came from Empower Ministries, which is a local faith-based nonprofit in the area. Um, and so she's really overseeing both what we do internationally and overseas uh, in our relationships with both um, charitable organizations and individual missionaries and uh, missionary families that we have abroad. Um, and uh, the way that the Advent works, hey, come on in. Um, you know, the way the, ad, the Advent works, because it's such a big place, sort of, at least with clergy, we're kind of arbitrarily siloed into to, uh, different departments. Um, and um, 
I am the canon for parish life and evangelism. And um, so that doesn't necessarily mean that I do a lot of direct work with outreach and international missions, um, though I have an interest in it. But uh, as the canon for evangelism, I think the, the, the interest that I have in um, sharing the faith uh, is probably something along the lines of what you would describe as, as missional. Mm -hmm. um, so there's overlap there despite the arbitrary silos that we create in the departments. And so that's why uh, Bethany and I sort of started a conversation about how one um, doesn't necessarily need to, uh, to do uh, something big uh, to be missional, that you can be missional in everyday life. And that's why we gave this uh, talk the uh, title Missionally Mundane. Um, where are we missional in, in the everyday, the ordinary? Um, so before I say anything else, just talk to me about what you mean by and think of with the word missional, which is uh, something of a buzzword lately, isn't it? It is, um, especially if you look at lots of different church websites, which is one of the things that when I started I did, just look to see what other churches were doing and you know, this word missional was thrown around. Um, but I think it's the idea that we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We have the family portion of life. We have the work portion. We have the service portion, which is separate from everything else. We have the philanthropic. We have the money. But again, those are kind of separate. Um, and this idea that, you know, when our hearts are transformed by the gospel, then those silos go away. And so to live missionally is to recognize that the silos that we create need to be broken down, and how can we live out our faith, live missionally in all of these areas of life? Um, and uh, I mean, that's not to say that. Uh, I mean, there, of course, there still is a place for for the sort of stereotypical projects. Mm -hmm. What's uh, so what's some of the stuff that that you've been doing um, since you've come here in the last five months? Lots of things. <laughs> um, one of the things is, you know, researching what's the what's the history of outreach and mission at the Advent, and so what are the relationships that have already been established, and then trying to figure out how can we really go deep with all of the relationships that have already been formed. So, um, Advent has a long history of giving to both local and foreign missions, whether it's to local shelters or to local rehab places, um, places that work with low-income communities to do education and healthcare or working to support you know, some of our own that, are, that have gone overseas, um, working to do translation work overseas. So there's lots of different areas that the Advent has historically been involved in, and these relationships have looked, um, have looked different. So we pray for our missionaries on a rotation as part of our weekly service. We give financial gifts. Um, but in looking at what, what should we be doing, I think I started to see that um, for us to go deep in our relationships, we need to you know, recognize that money has kind of been the driving force of what it means to be a missional church. And that means that we're missing out on, you know, that might be 10% of the whole, but there's 90% that we're really missing out on because we're not, um, we're not going deep in these relationships. So trying to look at how can we do that, what does it look like, in ways that are not um, programmatic necessarily, but in ways that encourage every member of our congregation to get excited and to look at where is the Holy Spirit directing me to spend my time and energy um, and, and how am I to pray individually and how can the church be a model for that for the lives of individuals and families so that they can live that out with the church being an example for that. Yeah, I, I think let's unpack the idea of like uh, the 90% and not necessarily program 
programmatic. I think a lot of my um, thinking around this topic is that the church in general uh, is heavily programmatic, especially in the United States. That when we want to do something, we've got to give it a budget and a name. Um, and so it's almost cart before the horse thinking. Um, and the, some of the better projects, more effective projects sort of bubble up and then we give it a budget or a name or maybe we don't, you know, but I think that often uh, we, we uh, just want to neatly organize things, but uh, the Holy Spirit might be moving in powerful ways outside of our, our neat organizations. Um, so, so what do you think about this? Uh, uh, idea of um, tell tell me about that ninety percent that's outside of our our typical stuff. What could we be doing? What are your your hopes? Yeah, and that that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, just because the way I live my day, you know, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, looks really different for other people. You know, I come and work at a church, whereas other people might go work in an office building, or they might work at a school, or they, they just work in different areas, or they might not be working outside of the home. And so does that mean, you know, that my life is more missional than other people's? Um, I think that's not true at all. And so um, I think I want my role to be in training and equipping people so that they can view their life from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep as they're living out the calling that God has placed on their lives. So if they're a business owner, then looking at ways of, you know, salary structures that, you know, are merciful and time off that's merciful and, you know, allowing people to have opportunities for employment that might not be the people that would be at the top of their list necessarily. Um, and then spending time with family that, that might seem like something that's, um, missional in one way, but how can, how can you expose your children to people that are different than you? And, um, so I feel like there's a whole lot of different areas that you can look at that maybe I can't even see because my life is, you know, going one direction. Um, but encouraging, I think it's really important to encourage that conversation so that we can really um, feel empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do. One of the, I think one of the reasons that we started to do this, or we started talking about doing this class was because we talked one Sunday after a Christian ed class that generally when you look at churches and you look at their mission and outreach program, it's if they are preaching grace, the mission and outreach seems like this outlier. Like grace is, is there. And then you also need to do this and you need to do this. So it becomes this, but you need these other checklists um, or you're operating under these other checklists. And so trying to recognize that we've got to throw the checklist away and it's not an extra thing, that it's something that's woven into the fabric of our being as Christians. Um, and trying to, to recognize that there's not one prescription for everyone. And that there's this tension, that there's always this tension in the Christian faith of it's not about doing this so I'm measuring up, but I'm doing this out of the overflow of um, the gifts that, that God has given me, whether it's gifts of money or gifts of time or gifts of these, the passion that, that God has placed in our hearts for certain groups. And you talked a lot about you know, trying to find the pockets. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 uh, let's talk about that, but I just want to emphasize what she just said, that uh, you know, missional living or being a missionary or doing outreach projects, uh, being a good neighbor, just generally speaking, um, shouldn't come necessarily from a place of, of like guilt or uh, to-do list. Although sometimes we might do things because we feel like um, it's out of a sense of obligation. For the most part, I would hope that it comes from this place, like you said, of overflowing, of the gratitude that I've received this grace and mercy and I just can't help but sort of be a good neighbor. I'm convicted 
that this um, uh, is, is the, the way that uh, I'm going to lead my life. Um, and just think about that for yourself, you know, on the receiving end of um, uh, uh, good works, um, whatever you want to call it. You know, have you ever had somebody do something and you thank them for it? You're really grateful and like, oh, well, that's just my duty, right? Like, that's my job around here. or That's my duty as your mother or father. How does that feel? You know, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like kicking you in the gut. You just said, you know, thank you uh, for doing this really nice thing, and then the person, um, the and I know where the, it's well intentioned, right? I mean, it's just sort of a cliche that we say. It's coming from a place of good intentions. We're trying to humble ourselves and say, oh no no, I mean, that's just uh, you know, it's my duty as as your minister or, or whatever. But really, what I want is somebody to do that nice thing because it, it came about naturally and not because it was on some sort of uh, checklist. And so with the pockets, um, what did I say about the pockets? <laughs> like, <I laughs> the think, pockets of people, right? Is that well, what you're and saying? If, you, if you think about the need, because that's, that's, I think, what it comes down to is how can we look for a need all around us, not need in the, um, I've seen this commercial on television about these, you know, poor starving children. Like, that's a need, obviously, but there are needs all around us. And it can be overwhelming to think about what kind of influence can I have when the need is so great, but that we're not called to do this huge, huge thing, that we're called to look for these pockets. Yeah, places, um, and that's really where the word mundane is helpful, uh, or ordinary. And I, I uh, take both those words from two books that I've been reading in the last year. We did a book event with this author, The God of the Mundane. He lives here in, uh, in, in Birmingham, actually, Matt Redmond. Um, and uh, uh, Ordinary by Michael Horton, uh, Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World. And I think that's just the thing. It's not just the church, but the, the world is, uh, in general, especially American culture, is looking for the big and splashy and having to make a big impact. Um, did you see the Lego movie? Yeah. Do you remember the theme song? Everything is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's really tapping into this notion that um, things uh, that we are really in a radical, restless world, and uh, it's not really good unless it's awesome. There's this great scene where the the guy's talking to Lord Business, who is uh, voiced by Will Ferrell, and he says, "You're the most awesome, greatest, you know, uh, businessman in the world," and, and he says, "And everyone else is too." <laughs> Um, uh, well, that's hyperbolic, but I think on the, the flip side of that coin is the mundane and the ordinary. You know, I think most of my life is, uh, is spent doing really kind of uh, boring stuff um, in these routines on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, for example, uh, just getting my, oh, my, my wife's out of town right now um, uh, for a conference, so I'm with our girls for three days and getting them ready in the morning to come to church um, well that's a pocket right there is, is my my home life uh, but especially the the space between me and my five-year-old and three-year-old and in the times when on five days a week I drive our five-year-old to school because she comes to school here at the Advent school and that's convenient for me because I work here um, uh, and and that process day in and day out which is pretty mundane um, and um, you know, how, how am I missionally living with my five-year-old in that day in and day out versus uh, we, we tend to want to create uh, big 
family memories and traditions uh, like vacations and whatnot and hope that that will be the things that affect our children um, uh, but it's probably really the kind of the brushing of the teeth and the the making of the food well there there are other things too out there in the world uh, where you work um, where you play whatever that is uh, you know maybe you golf or play tennis um, uh, where your interests are in terms of hobbies uh, and and focusing right there where you already are where um, how where and how can you be a good neighbor um, where uh, can the gospel reach those places even uh, any thoughts on that yes <laughs> <laughs> that's a big kind of um, say that again <laughs> my, my brain was going somewhere else yeah well what's a I mean what's can you can you give us an example or a story of where you've seen this kind of inaction day to day either I'll, in your I'll own tell life you why my like my brain wondered is because yeah. you're talking about driving your daughter to school and I was thinking about my youngest or not my youngest sister I have two younger sisters and the one that's in the middle she always talks about how some of her favorite memories growing up were my dad and her driving to preschool so it was one year of her life and they would sing you know songs from the 70s so she has all these great memories that really go to show that my that my dad loved her and and it came from dropping her off at school and singing oh. these songs and sometimes they had these intentional conversations about Jesus they, you know she's four he's a minister that just happens but really it was just this day in day out singing with my dad um, moments that had this lifelong significance um, so I think sometimes maybe we go through these very routine things and we have no idea the kind of long-term impact that just being faithful to the routine um, can have, which I think is pretty special that God can use those moments um, to do something spectacular, but that it's Jesus that's doing those things. Yeah. And so why is this thought so countercultural right now? I think that maybe a lot of people are kind of Christians at church but sort of pegging everywhere else, yeah. right? I mean, like in the, in the workplace. And so how do I, I mean, especially at a church like the gospel, which is very convicted, a clear conviction about what we think the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is, you know, what does that mean for me day to day, 24 seven, where I'm spending my time, um, either as someone who uh, works in a workplace where I'm spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, or in my home life, um, or at, uh, you know, these silly things that I have to do day to day, like auto maintenance and go to the dentist and, uh, go to the grocery store and, and, uh, have these interactions with the people that work there sometimes and things like that. Um, it's kind so, of scary though. Yeah. I mean, isn't it, it's kind of scary to think about well, what if I lived out my faith in all those areas? Like, I know how to do it in these certain contexts. Like, I know how to think theologically when I'm looking at the Bible. But, like, when I'm looking at, I don't know, a job contract. <laughs> like, what, what does that look like? There's no guidebook for those specifics. Or creating a job yeah, contract. Yeah, or creating a job contract. Or, um, yeah. It, it, I, I think that they're, that we've trained ourselves to, to know what it, how to think in certain contexts. But then it gets really scary. And then I also, when I talk to some, you know, some people about specific things, there's always that but, but something could happen, you know, but maybe I'm not going to have enough money. So I need to really take care of myself and my family. There always tends to come back to an excuse 
that's rooted in I don't really trust the Lord, <laughs> at least in my own life. When I when I'm clinging to things that are my own, whether it's my time or my money or you know, not wanting to go out of my way to talk to a person. It's because I don't trust that the Lord is going to give me what I need. So if I'm going to be vulnerable and open up to another person and invite them into my world, then maybe they're going to require things of me that I just don't have to give. And so instead of thinking, oh, the Lord is going to take care of me and he's also going to take care of this other person, I tend to go straight to the worst case scenario. And then, you know, I'm a cautious person. So why would I... (laughs) If I don't know how things are going to end up, why would I enter into that? Um, and I, I, I mean, that's me with, with people and financial decisions, and uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But, but it's, for me, really rooted in fear. Yeah, I think vulnerability is a, is, a, is a big word because having deep relationships in fewer places with fewer people and smaller spheres of influence require a greater deal of vulnerability mm-hmm. than... Uh, with the masses you know I mean if it's with the big things in the masses you can only really sort of sort of skate the surface to a certain extent it's really difficult but to have like say a a couple friends we we were talking about that thing that went up with Derek Webb Mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit for people who don't know who Derek Webb is yeah so Derek Webb was a singer with Caitman's Call and then did his own thing. He married um, a woman named Sandra McCracken, who's um, really involved in Indelible Grace, a concert that's coming up January 21st, by the way. Um, And about maybe two years ago, they released a public statement that said that they were getting divorced, and they knew that this was heartbreaking, that Derek took full responsibility. It was very vague. Um, There had been rumors about an extramarital affair, um, but then it was kind of hush-hush. Well, on January 1st or January 2nd of this year, he released this really beautiful, heartbreaking letter um, in which he said, you know, this happened because of these small choices, but he had not been in a group where he was able to be vulnerable and that through the past 18 months or two years, he had found a small group of people that he really was vulnerable with and that had made such a huge impact in his life. Um, And so I, I posted it on my Facebook and I had several people you know, write me messages about how they're so grateful that they were able to read that. But it, it does go down to this fear of, you know, the imposter syndrome of I've got to pretend. So Derek Webb is this, you know, huge Christian artist and is known for being really raw and honest in his lyrics. And then, you know, to, to come out, he knew he was hurting people because they saw this disconnect um, between the lyrics, which were so raw and honest, and then living a double life. But but that's really what where we all are. Um, and so the vulnerability, I think, is a really important piece of that. And and he wasn't able to write that very vulnerable letter without the like 18-month process mm-hmm. of healing behind the scenes where he was vulnerable with two or three people, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Um, and uh, how many of us are really in that position either to receive or give that? And I think that you can only really kind of give that gift to someone to allow them to be vulnerable if we ourselves uh, become vulnerable in some way elsewhere in our lives um, and those are the places where the gospel uh, sows seeds deepest uh, you know what I mean where, where we have our deepest places of need that we can hear hear that message um, you know well uh, we're talking about a lot of sort of the, the mundane stuff and ordinary every day what still then is the place for the local outreach with, say, um, homeless people? What is still the place for 
missionaries in, 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 in Nicaragua. Talk, let's talk about that. I'm reading a great book that if you've ever been interested in foreign missions, um, then I would recommend. When Helping Hurts is, I think, a really foundational book for lots of church groups um, with how they think about mission and outreach. But they also came out with a book um, called When Helping Hurt or Helping Without Hurting and Short-Term Missions. They also have one on church benevolence and churches and microfinance. But one of the things that they really come down to is the intentionality and recognizing your purpose. And so, you know, this book, the first couple of chapters are, are almost discouraging you from, from going, which I think you have to do before you can build up to what's the whole purpose of this. Because unfortunately, with this whole concept of being radical and changing the world, you know, to our detriment and the detriment of people that we try to serve, we create these experiences where we go and we're going to change a community in two weeks. Now, if you like, take a step back and just think logically, like when does that actually happen? Where you go in, you spend two weeks, and like something has radically changed forever. You know, that's just that's not something that we can do on our own. Um, so I think that there there are places for going and being exposed to the way God is working in a different country, and there are, there there's a place for that. But it comes down to this um, being really honest with what's what's the whole purpose of this. And am I the Savior, or is my role to point people to the Savior? Which can happen, you know, at any place in time. And that's why I love that you picked that passage to start with. Um, when I worked at Empower Ministries, we had a fundraising event. And part of it was this live art auction. And we had an artist um, paint a painting. And we had talked about some concepts, and he had this idea to paint um, that scene from, mm. from the Bible. And when it was finished, it was beautiful um, and he had a, there was a, kind of some other neat things that happened out as he was painting but I showed the a picture of the painting to um, the director of our health center and so she coordinated all of the doctors and nurses and other volunteers and worked with some other staff members um, to help operate the free clinic and she saw it and it was a beautiful painting and she was moved to tears and she said well there I am and there's Sonia and she pointed to two other people and those are the people lowering him down huh. um, to Jesus and she said and that's what we do every day is that we take people so that, to Jesus to be healed um, and I, I loved her kind of reaction when she saw that and so every time I hear that passage that's what I think that she's part of Jesus working and she's the ordinary person that's just lowering people down to him um, and that's that's the ordinary, and so we have the opportunity to do that in, you know, serving people food if that's where we feel like God's calling us. It's beautiful. Um, or or going overseas, yeah. Um, or in or in driving driving a child to school. That that these are the the pictures, and we just do, you know, I think it's our responsibility to respond to the opportunities that the Lord places in front of us. Um, and sometimes there's the moment of sacrifice of I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I should. But I think more often than not, it's um, that the Lord has stirred something in our heart so we get really excited. Um, and then it's trying to lean into that excitement to figure out, well, what, what can I do? Um, but then also keeping in mind that, that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done on the cross. Let me uh, make a, a broad stroke statement. Uh, and bear with me, because it's not entirely true, but I think categorically it can be true. And then maybe maybe you react to it, okay? I, I, I find that often with um, outreach work and maybe even uh, foreign missions, what happens if you're looking at a sort of theologically or politically uh, conservative to liberal spectrum, that those that are, tend to be more liberal end up 
unfortunately, what I see is treating individuals who are involved in community groups, whether that's the homeless or uh, you know, the people of uh, Sudan, basically into projects in terms of like they want to do their fellow man good in terms of like these people live without a home, uh, they don't, they're poor, and so I'm going to sort of fix that dilemma. Um, or that certain people in Africa don't have water or something. And, but it ends up, what I feel like is that, that they're not interacting with individuals as much as categorical groups for the sake of something like social justice. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the conservative end, I feel like those similar types of projects can become a means towards an end of a bait and switch for evangelism. Mm -hmm. um, and so the individuals become a uh, pawns in their game of trying to convert souls um, and I both of those things make me feel real icky because I, I want like to, to do my fellow man some good whether that's someone who does not have a home or cannot uh, drink clean water in a foreign nation I also want to share the gospel the good news that's changed my life and yet methodologically something happens that makes me uncomfortable do you see that too mm -hmm. is that sound Oh, at yeah. least somewhat accurate yeah or... that ick factor it's it's real um and especially i think i've seen it with the bait and switch and i think it's the confusion of what's our role in this you know and 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 that's not when you look at mission and outreach our role is not necessarily to evangelize but it's to look for the need and sometimes the need is to hear the gospel and the way that we do that can look really different you know obviously to to proclaim the truth is a great calling and um, an important thing but sometimes we do that through meeting people's basic needs or listening to them um, and when we listen with the intent of I'm gonna listen to you so that you know it just it's not authentic and so one of the things with any type of service that I think is important is to look for is this mutually life-giving have I made a person a project and I'm not taking anything from them um, then it's not a really authentic relationship because I would never enter into a friendship with someone if I felt like it was just zapping all of my energy. You know, I in a friendship that's healthy, you are receiving something from the person that you're in a friendship with. And so in any type of, you know, service, mission outreach relationship, I think we need to have our eyes open to, am I coming in hoping to like fix things or am I hoping to really engage in real relationship where I'm open and vulnerable and willing to be changed by this person or this experience or this process? And if you drop in trying to fix, you might fix the wrong thing. Uh -huh. I think if you're in a relationship and spend time with people in honesty and vulnerability, other things come up and you're like, oh, that's that's where the need lies, actually. Well, and there's you know? so many stories from you know the Peace Corps or other groups that you know go into other countries, don't have any kind of cultural sensitivity or education, and then they end up fixing something because through our Western lens we think this is a problem, and it really destroys a whole lot of other systems because they didn't take the time to listen and to ask if if indeed this is a problem, if this is a problem that they should fix, if it's something that is just gonna work itself out. Um, so there's just tons of examples of that, but because we come in a little a little cocky and think that we, um, that we know better. Yeah. Well, um, got about 10 minutes uh, for any interaction, if anybody has any questions, reactions, responses, pushbacks, whatever, yeah. Okay, I have a what question, and I haven't necessarily organized it, so like, give me pushback and just kind of roll with it. Um, so, obviously, the gospel is the center, grace is not the enemy of obedience, and then we have this individualization factor, too. 
so people in different different areas with different lives. Um, so if if grace is at the center, if the gospel is at the center, there's obviously a disconnect between that and the person in their everyday life that can't be fixed by saying, well, these are the things that we should be doing. And so how how do you think that that fluidity um, to where it's going to naturally um, intersect with the person's life in the areas that they're in can be fostered? And what does that look like for missions, outreach, and evangelism? Um, I I think that's the bit the great failure one of the great failures of the church is that we're not putting those questions in front of people and we're not saying or asking the question of so how does this intersect with your life and work and your life and family your life and dating your life and you know all these different areas of life we're not as a church asking those questions and then helping helping people work through their answers to that and I, I kind of think that it's the it's putting it in front of people you can't force you can't force anything, but the more um, opportunities we have to to ask those questions and to think differently, because generally, if you think about like I don't know what your expectations were coming in here, because the mundane was there, so you knew it was going to be a little bit different. But if you think mission, you know you think you have what what are the thoughts that you think of? Yeah. Or you think giving, or you think of something kind of big and bold and very different from our day-to-day life, and that's a failure, you know, for not for not pulling it back a little bit and saying there there are different ways to view this. Can we talk about? Yeah. Um, since I know the mission. I love that we're kind of trying to, I guess, help more in the city where our church is. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about? I don't know if there's anything specific that we can talk about, but ways in which. Our church is doing that. I know where you and Holly are living, and yeah. you know, just loving on people. But in addition to that, ways in which we as family, you know, can can work through that. <laughs> yeah, um, to a certain extent, at least from from where I sit, I'm 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 still learning and open uh, to to possibilities. We of course have a long history of doing. Uh, projects with places like um, Firehouse Shelter, Help Me Out, what are some other things that are... Um, Firehouse, Pathways, Episcopal Place, which is not necessarily downtown, Um, First Light. So we have relationships with lots of different organizations, Um, and not to, you know, be completely anti-program, because you really do need that to have some sort of structure. Uh, I don't know how long it's been going on, but, you know, Tuesday morning we have a group of very faithful volunteers that come and they cook breakfast that they take over to um, Church the Reconciler, and they um, give out breakfast over there on Tuesdays. Wednesdays we have a Bible study that's geared towards, um, I don't want to say the homeless population because not all of them are homeless, but really towards um, people that are marginalized. Um, And then Thursday we have a worship service at 8.30 in the nave every um, every single Thursday that's geared towards, again, a different type of population than the Advent typically serves. And we have volunteers that are just there. Um, some are passing out programs, but really it's a great opportunity to get to know people that are, are different. And so it's really the ministry of presence. I think we can't be overstated the importance of that. There are um, there are people that bring their children or grandchildren just to be there um, and to worship, you know, alongside people that are maybe not in the pews on Sunday mornings. And that was my, uh, my other yeah. question. I guess the whole family kind of because you know we talked about really getting our children more involved in that because. Um, so I guess that's a good answer to my question, like how we can get our entire family 
Yeah, well, and I would say... Forcing it on them. Yeah, yeah well, let me, let me uh, sort of uh, add to what she just said, because I think it's great that we've done those things, continue to, and have a history of them. Um, I, I think we can have an expansive understanding of how we're being missional in the city of Birmingham, though that's not necessarily just working with um, the poor and needy, because all of us are poor in spirit. Um, we all are impoverished in different ways. Um, and sometimes I've seen people say, like, you know, they want to do something good and then they get involved with outreach ministry and really they're just filling a slot and it's not, it doesn't connect with them in terms of like the, 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 there's no deep seated interest. And so th through the long haul, the person doesn't really end up doing it. They do it for a little while and fits and starts. And so that's why I'm really interested in this discussion of how are we missionally mundane? I mean, in our everyday lives, you know, um, what are where are the places you already are? Um, and um, just listening, as Bethany said, and some um, something might come up organically. Just because it's never been done before doesn't mean we can't do it. And just because we've been doing other things doesn't mean we can, need to always continue doing those things world without end. Um, other uh, possibilities might pop up. And so for, for me, it's just sort of leading the charge as a sort of a staff evangelist. That's part of why Holly and I decided to move downtown is what ha I just want to, it's sort of an experiment. I want to see what happens when my family lives, works, and goes to school downtown for a little while, for several years. And uh, that's to no disservice to those of you who live over the mountain. Uh, I mean, we go, we'll still go to your Christmas parties and things like that. You know? I mean, <laughs> please invite us. I mean, we're still, I'm still your pastor. Uh, but in terms of trying to reach new people, um, I looked up our books uh, in, the in the downtown zip code of 35203. Can you guess how many people are active members who live downtown? Ten. Less than ten. Less than ten. Fewer than ten. It's about uh, four or five. Right in the zip code where our building actually is. Now, how many people are active members of the Advent who live in 35213? Is that right? Is that what it is? 1233. Is, is over 1,000, 1,500 or something like that. Well, that's crazy. I mean, and uh, well, not a lot of people historically have lived downtown, so I grant you that. But there are several thousand people who already live downtown, and that population is going to double in the next few years. What are we doing to reach these new people for the sake of the gospel? And a lot of them are not homeless. Some of them have really well-paying jobs just out of law school. Um, but uh, there are places of real need in their life, uh, too. And, um, and so some of you work in those places with those people. You play in those places. You eat in their restaurants or whatever. Um, I'm just sort of open to what the kind of universe and the Holy Spirit um sends our way and there are some things that we already do well like the Latin preaching series I think is a, is a handle on what I'm talking about because we get a lot of people who work downtown but what are some ways that we can kind of go out to them versus asking them to come in our building because only so many people will do that so lessons and carols was a stab in the direction of what I'm talking about how do we go to the place that people are excited about people are really excited about Railroad Park right now and so blending the ideas of what we do in the church with a place like Railroad Park where people might feel more comfortable going versus opening. Our church doors can be really daunting for a lot of people who've been burned by the church. 
and for a lot of um, you know homeless folks too. I mean, could you imagine how well dressed you all are if you were someone coming off the street coming in? Gosh, that'd be real difficult Sunday morning. But us going to them is a completely different story. Um, I'll say one just more thing. I I think that um, the ministry of families is really really just important and that's something I don't have a family and so it's hard for me to think about it in really practical terms Um, but I know the gift of families to one of my youngest sisters had to live with two different families when she her lease had ended and she was moving to Portland and being able to just be surrounded and loved by a family for about a week and a half at a time was hugely life-giving to her Um, and in the same way that Matt's talking about sometimes the Lord calls us to minister to the poor and that's a huge area of need but there are needs that look different elsewhere too and so for families specifically trying to pray about how the Lord is calling you as a family to minister I think you can you know pray with a bigger vision um, and see where the Lord leads because there's a, a great need for that and it's, it's such a special thing to be able to give that gift really to invite people into your home and to be able to experience that is a pretty special thing any one last comment or question or anything? Well, I'm just yeah. saying, <clears throat> you're talking about where you already are and where your passions are. I mean, if you look at the real estate company that developed the property that you're living in, yeah, and you see how they're doing that all over, yeah, allowing for um, chaplains or ministers to be in these apartment complexes, um, probably not nearly as nice as yours in some cases. That that is taking the gospel yeah. into their business mm-hmm. and even it's to see God's fruit through that not only the way we would typically think of it but also business wise from other people looking at it and saying that speaks to the integrity of their organization <clears throat> not trying to look at it from all economic sense but just how God works and allowing yeah. something to flourish as it's doing its good work yeah, and if you guys don't know the story, I'll just tell it real quick. Uh, we were recruited by the developers that built the building where my family's now living um, to move in. Um, they wanted a minister to move in and be present for their community um, because they're thinking about their apartment building as more than just a building with their tenants as projects to make them money. They're trying to think more richly about who are these people and how can we affect their lives? Um, and uh, So there's not only us, our family living there as sort of like you said, chaplain to the community or community organizers. There's also a police officer who lives in the building um, so that people feel safe. Uh, and there's um, someone present. She's not always on duty, but she's there. Uh, and so it's almost like building the kind of stereotypical community, you know, there's the chaplain, the police officer, you know, the milkman or whatever, but uh, that's not normal in an apartment building downtown. Usually there's a greater sense of instability and transience to people who live in apartment buildings. Um, And so, yeah, that for that company to think that way, when I first heard that story and they recruited us, I was like, you know, let's keep talking about this is fascinating. I've never heard anything like it. Well, that takes a lot of creativity, and they had to explain that to their investors, why this is an important thing to do. There might be other places where this is possible, something, that kind of creative thinking um, in the business world. Yeah, that's right. Is that Liv? That's L.I.B. Liv, yeah.
Okay, well, uh, any last thought before the bell stops ringing? No. Okay. <laughs> Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.